0: Acts chapter 20, this is uh, Paul's final time with these people that he had won to Christ and discipled and trained. And you realize when he called the elders of the church at Ephesus, the word elder is synonymous with bishop, which is also synonymous with pastor, three uh, names for the same office. Um, Paul has called these elders of the church at Ephesus to come and meet him uh, where his ship docked on an island south of the city of Ephesus. These are people that he won to Christ that, they're, that are now pastoring the church that he started there. Paul spent about three years in that church and it, it was his longest ministry and it may have been his most fruitful ministry... In spite of the hardships, we learn from Acts chapter 19 that everyone who lived in Asia, that is modern day Turkey, everyone who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles. Um, They did so without the printed page. Uh, They did so without the ability to have the internet or radio or TV. It was just people going out, sharing the gospel, mostly one-on-one, that type of thing. Uh, We know that the, the seven churches of Revelation were undoubtedly started from this one church in Ephesus. It was an incredible ministry. Now, not everybody got saved. We understand that. But this was a soul-winning church. They didn't just talk about soul-winning. They actually did it. They went out everywhere, and they didn't just go to the easy places. They went to all of the places where there was a person, and the Bible was clear that everyone in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Paul is going back to Jerusalem, and on his way, he wanted to meet with them. And so in verse 17, uh, he sent up to the church and called the elders. They came to him, and he is spending a little bit of time reminiscing with them, and he's going to challenge them and and uh, get ready to leave them for the very last time. Uh, in verses 17 through 19, Paul reminded them of his faithfulness in persecution, what he was the manner of person he was at all seasons. What you are in your good day is not what you are. It's what you are on your worst day. That's what you really are. That's what you really, a yeah, whole bunch of cringe in there. Uh, and that's that's a pretty tough statement. It really is. It's what we are in our our, our lowest point. Um, and Paul said, you know what I've been like at At all seasons, the high times, the low times, uh, and so forth. And in Ephesus, uh, Paul evidently had some serious difficulty. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth that while he was there in Ephesus, in Asia, that he was pressed out of measure. He said that they despaired even of life. Uh, things were that bad. In 1 Corinthians 15, he described his ministry in Ephesus as being face to face with beasts. If I thought with beasts at Ephesus, he's not talking about animals. That, that form of persecution hadn't started yet. Uh, he's talking about individuals and, and, and persecution that, that uh, was so difficult, but no matter what it was, he stayed faithful, he stayed right. He worked on keeping his spirit right, his faithfulness in his persecutions. In verses 20 to 21 was his faithfulness in preaching. He kept back nothing that was profitable to them. He gave them the whole counsel of God. He didn't cherry pick verses to tickle the ears of his listeners. He gave them all of the scripture because all scripture is given by inspiration of God, not just the parts that we like. It's all there, and it's all profitable. And and he reminded them of that. Um, He reminded them of his faithfulness, um, if you would please, in his prospects, verses 2 to 24. He knew he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. He's bound in the Spirit. But everywhere he stopped, the Holy Spirit was sending someone along to tell him, to warn him that bonds and afflictions were waiting for him there. It wasn't that Paul was out of the will of God and the Holy Spirit is trying to warn him not to go there. The Holy Spirit's preparing him. Paul knew that's where he was supposed to be. The Holy Spirit's preparing him, letting him know things are going to get tough. You need to be ready for that. That's why we are commanded to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's not a matter, is the devil coming after us? It's when. When? and how, and we're supposed to be ready. Um, I love verse 24, Paul says, but none of these things move me. None of the prospects of difficulty or whatever, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. That is a good verse to commit to memory. That is a good, vet, a good verse to adopt as, as our own. Uh, what is it that will get you out of church? What is it that will get you to stop reading your Bible? What is it that will stop you from being a witness for Jesus Christ? Paul said, there's nothing that will do that to me. He said, I, I am just determined I'm going to finish my course. By the way, did he? How do we know? How do we know he finished his course? He said so, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Um, There's the goal, finish the race. Uh, Paul then began, uh, if you would please, down in verse 28, we talked about this uh, the last time that we were together on this, Um, his faithfulness in protecting the flock of God, take heed therefore unto yourselves to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. To feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. So Paul is warning them. He's warning them of danger from without. uh, Grievous wolves entering in among you, not sparing the flock. False teachers are not something that started with the internet. They have been around uh, since the beginning. Start in the book of Genesis and just read what, what was going on in the, uh, the hearts and the teachings of, of people. Moses faced false prophets uh, there in Egypt, and so it, it's going to happen. Um, and so he, he's telling the, the elders here, he said, The Holy Ghost made you overseers of the flock of God. You need to watch because false teachers are going to come in. But not just from without, look at verse 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things. The word perverse doesn't necessarily mean um, dirty or filthy or vulgar or immoral. Uh, It just means crooked things, things that don't line up with the word of God. And here's why they're doing it, to draw away disciples after them. Uh, There'll be people, every church deals with it that there's going to be somebody that they want a following of their own for whatever reason it happens to be, and they will sow strife and discord within the body of believers to see how many people they can get on their side. That's demonic activity. It's unbiblical activity. Paul warned about it and said it's going to come from outside, but you got to understand the devil's good at planting tares in the wheat field that are gonna come from the inside, and so he warns them. And now I want us to look, if you would please, and we're gonna see, starting in verse number 31 down through the end of the chapter, Paul's faithfulness in his final parting. Therefore, watch. That, That idea of watch means stand guard, be observant, be diligent, and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. I've met a few people that soul winning was as natural to them as breathing. It it just really was. How many uh, remember Bruce Fry, evangelist Bruce Fry? He was here about a year and a half ago. Um, Saved out of the Nashville music scene and so forth uh, and, and so forth. Uh, I was in a meeting with him in Pennsylvania earlier this year, and um, after the service, the pastor wanted to take Brother Fry and I out to uh, uh, some, I think we went to Chipotle, and we were just going to s- sort of sit and have uh, some fellowship and so forth before you know, uh, I headed back home and so forth. And uh, just being around Brother Fry and just watching him, uh, the man's pockets are filled with tracks. By the way, do you know who passes out tracks? Does anybody know who passes out tracks? People who have them. The tracks aren't helping anybody in the rack out here in the hallway. Uh, he, he's got them. When, when uh, we, uh, the pastor paid for, for our meals for us, uh, Brother Fry immediately stopped started talking to the, the young man that was uh, um, you know checking us out and so forth and told who he was. And he pulled out his track that has a picture of him before Christ and then after Christ. And so he said, see that guy with, with, with the long hair and all that kind of stuff He goes, that was me, and the kid's looking at it, goes, that was you, he goes, yeah, Jesus made a real big difference in my life, and he said, I want you to read that, I know it'll help you, he said, how many people were working back here now, and the kid's looking around, go, I don't know, maybe eight or ten, so he just gets on, would you go make sure that everybody back there gets one of these, and the kid's like, yeah, okay, and so he's not even saved yet. He's passing out tracks and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, people sat down near us, and he'd get up from the table, and he'd just go over and, hey, uh, let, me, let me give you one of these little something that I wrote. My name's Bruce Fry, and I'm an evangelist and, and so forth. And, you know, the same thing. See that guy there with all the, you know, the long below-the-shoulder hair? That was me uh, type thing. Uh, we left and we're getting ready to go to our respective cars. And there was a group of teenagers and it was more than likely they were up to no good. It was like 1030, uh, 11 o'clock at night, something like that. And, And you could tell, uh, you know, they weren't there for a prayer meeting or to see if any little old lady still needed help to cross the street, that type of thing. Um, uh, you know, the three preachers were, were kind of getting ready to say our goodnights and Brother Fry said, be right back. And he took, he took off and he went, oh, he's not afraid of anybody. They didn't bother him at all. Um, and, and Pastor Wooner, the guy that was there with me, uh, we just, we just kind of stood there and watched how natural it was for him. And those, those teenagers, they gave him attention. He gave them his testimony. He shared the gospel with them and so forth. He's one of those guys... That soul winning and sharing his faith is as much a part of him as breathing is. Paul is reminding the elders of the church there. Again, look at verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember. He wasn't bragging on himself earlier in this chapter when he says, You know what I've been, what manner of person I've been with you at all seasons, and you know how I've preached the gospel to everybody in Asia. He wasn't bragging, he was He was reminding them that's your that's your pattern. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. He was so burdened about people getting saved that he broke into tears, apparently, as he talked to them about where they were going to spend their eternity. There are times when the one young man that I work with a couple times a week, that he and I talk about the things of the Lord and he's bringing it up more and more often that, uh, that it, it's hard to hold back the tears because to me, I can't think of anything worse than that young man stepping out into eternity unsaved. Paul felt that way about everybody, not just the people that he, that he knew personally, not just the people he liked but everybody, everybody. Verse 32, verse 32. And now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are defiled. These are final parting words. He's gonna mention three different things that he wants them to grab a hold of. In the first thing, is, if you will, his commendation. I commend you to God. I commend you to God. He knows he'll never see them again. They're pretty much sure of it. There might be a letter, in fact, there would be a letter called the book of Ephesians back to them, but they would not see each other face to face. They would not hear his voice again. They would not sit under a single sermon. This was it. And Paul was walking away realizing, I will never go back to that church. I will never sit in one of those services. This is it. This is is an important moment for both Paul and the elders of that church. In um, 1991, the Lord allowed Trina and I, my family, to have the privilege of planting a church in Jeanette, Pennsylvania. We started with eight of us. That included five dishes. Tim was my usher at the age of six. Um, and then we had three others that came on that first Sunday. Nobody that, that I had led to Christ came. Uh, it, was a, it was a discouraging time. But over the course of six and a half years, we grew from a meager start of eight to 226 on our sixth anniversary. We, we had purchased our own building and land and remodeled and moved in uh, and so forth. Um, looking back, um, I, on any given Sunday, I could just look out on the congregation and realize that probably 80% of the people sitting out there were people that that either I had led to Christ or Trina had led to Christ or had come to church and gotten saved in some part of the ministry there. Uh, We had some other folks that were looking for church. We had several families that drove uh, nearly an hour one way to come to church because there just wasn't anything in the area where they lived. Most of those people, though, were our converts. Um, If you were to go back today... Uh, on any given service, you look at the choir, look at the Sunday school teachers meeting, look at the academy staff. Almost all of those people are people from when we were there in the 1990s that we had led to Christ, that we had disciples and trained. And as such, I was their spiritual father. Paul called himself that to the church at Corinth. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm your spiritual dad. I'm the one that led you to Christ and discipled you um, and so forth. We had a close relationship with the people in that church. And then the day after our sixth anniversary and that, that big Sunday and all the rejoicing that we had, um, the, the very next day, I got a call from some guy named Earl Held. Never heard of him before, had no idea, and he introduced himself. He said, uh, I, I, I'm a member of a, a Heritage Baptist church in Wallingford, Connecticut, and uh, your name was given to us, and we have uh, lost our pastor. And, and so I, I'm calling to reach out and see if you might be interested in maybe coming to candidate to be our pastor. And I said, no, not interested at all. I said, I am so happy where I'm at. I have no desire to leave. That should have been the end of the conversation. But he played Dirty. He said, will you pray about it? Well, what am I supposed to say about that? No, I will not pray about it, you know? Sure, sure, I'll pray about it. And then he followed her with another question. He said, would you come up and, and, and just do pulpit supply and preach, us for, preach for us on a Sunday, uh, that type of thing? And, and uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, I turned him down and said, I'm not coming, I'm not interested, so I'll, I'll, I'll do that. That was the day after our sixth anniversary. We came up here, it was the Sunday after Thanksgiving, it was cold and gloomy and rainy, Um, and it was the old, old, old look of the auditorium here. We're talking about the killer folding chairs that snagged your clothes and sent them to Goodwill. How many remember those? Uh, We had the vertical blinds, that was all plate glass. Vertical blinds, half of the missing, the ones that remained were all snapped off at other, at, at odd places. They were just a, a joy. It was just one of those things. The platform carpet was, uh, was patched with red duct tape. Very attractive and all of that. Um, and, uh, you know, we came. We, we stayed with the Lodens while we were here. Um, and I'm not sure why they did this. They wanted us to come pastor, but they arranged for us to have lunch with the stewards. If you want us to come, you don't send us around George. Now the stewards came over to Loden's house and we got to know their family a little bit uh, and so forth. And the bottom line is, we did not want to be here. We just did not want to be here. We wanted to be in Jeanette. Mr. Hell called back a week later and said, well, you came. Uh, We were wondering if maybe uh, the Holy Spirit's changed your mind. No, he hasn't. But then again, I hadn't really prayed about it because I was happy where I was. Have you ever been like that? You feel the Lord's leadership on something, but you don't want to do it, so you don't really pray about it because you don't want to hear what he has to say. You know how that goes? Uh, long story short, obviously, the Lord changed my mind, and it was the will of God for us to come here. We, we uh, announced our decision in, in uh, late March of uh, 1998, and told our church for the first time there in Pennsylvania that God was calling us here. And we stayed until the end of May. We came here Memorial Day weekend. Our last Sunday there uh, was Emotional Sunday, and we reminisced like Paul did. And as their pastor, I reminded them of many of the same kind of things that Paul did, why God led us there. Uh, what God had done in that church, what God had done in their lives and in their families. They already had a new pastor that they had voted to come in. And um, uh, the following day, um, I would get the rest of my stuff out of my office and I would hand Pastor Ross the keys as he stepped into the building. And They never went a single service without a pastor. He is still there, uh, has taken the church to levels I'm sure I never could have, um, and and so forth. But we... uh, we loaded up our, our moving truck and parked it over at my dad's house. And our last day in Pennsylvania, we went to Kennywood Park, which is an amusement park like Lake Compounds in the Pittsburgh area. It's been there for decades and decades. And most of our church family took the day off and came, and we spent our time at Kennywood. The time came for us to leave. We're gonna go back and spend the rest of the evening with my dad and the following morning early, hit the road and drive here to Wallingford, Connecticut. And I still remember the scene, we were standing near, just inside one of the entrances, the big old fashioned merry-go-rounders right over here. And all this group of church people are standing there and that's when the tears started to flow. And we, we took some time to testify of the goodness of the Lord in our lives. Uh, we, we sang a simple scripture song, O give thanks unto the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And I had prayer for what I, as far as I knew at that time, was my last time with the church members of that church. It was, it was a hard time, but it was also a time where I knew that I was doing the will of God and by me doing the will of God, They were going to be in the will of God as well. That's what Paul's going through. When I read these words, maybe as somebody that lived through that once, um, I see it maybe different than someone else just reading it, but I see an awful lot of emotion from Paul. I see a lot of emotion from these people. Paul's already warned them there are wolves coming in from the outside. And he's already warned them, you're going to face the heartache of people from the inside trying to split the church or divide the church and, or trying to sow discord. And you're going to have to deal with all of that heartbreak. And so in verse 32, I want you to notice that he does two things. I commend you to God. Number one, I commend you to God. That word Commend is, a, is a, uh, just really a, a wonderful word. It means to deposit in trust with. Paul is saying, I am taking you, the church that I started, that I pastored for some three years, out of which such amazing ministry took place and, and all of those things, and I'm going to be gone, so I am depositing you for safekeeping with God. By the way, there's no better place than that. Um, I, I will confess to you that one of my struggles with coming here was what's gonna to happen to the church there. Um, that was my child, or that's how Trina and I felt. That was our child, that was our baby, those were our converts, that was our family, and all of that. God had to remind me it wasn't my church his i didn't give myself for that church but ephesians says that jesus gave himself for the church am i right so paul's saying i want to i want to remind you i want you to know i am commending i'm depositing you for safe safekeeping with god and if we understand that we'll be okay keep your place here and turn back to the old testament book of isaiah Turn to chapter 41. I have sent this reference out to so many people in the last six months who've been going through difficult times. And every time I've sent this reference out, I've gotten a note back as they looked it up, and that was the verse. That is exactly what they need. Look at verse 10. The Lord is speaking to Israel, Fear thou not. We got so many things to be afraid of. And as Paul is about to get back on that ship and sail away and just watch those people standing along the docks receding in the distance, and they would do likewise from their vantage point. Lots of fear. It is is what I gave my time and effort and all those tears, is that now just gonna fall by the wayside? Are those men going to do what God wants them to do? Are they going to take heed uh, to, to, to what I said? Paul's got a lot of worries. He wants that church to continue, and at the same time, they're probably thinking, "What are we going to do without Paul?" He was our first pastor. For one, for him, we wouldn't even know who Jesus was and is. Fear thou not. Here's why: for I am with thee. That's the promise. Of the presence of God. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. That's the promise of the person of God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That's the promise of the power of God. This one verse, I memorized it in Bible college, has been one of my go to verses uh, for decades now. And that's what Paul was doing in Acts chapter 20. I'm commending you to God. In essence, he is is saying to them exactly what the Lord said to his people in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. But he also commends them to something else back in verse 32 of Acts 20. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I'm commending you to God, and I'm also commending you to the Word of God, the Word of His grace. Um, they weren't left to decide right and wrong on their own. They they have the Word of God. They weren't left to do things in their own strength. They have the Word of God. Now understand: at the time Paul left them, they had the, what we call the Old Testament. Much of the New Testament had not even been penned yet. A few books had. It is believed that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians while he was still pastoring in Ephesus and so forth. But but uh, they they don't have all 66 books of the Bible as we do, but uh, they had what God gave them. And Paul said, you got enough. You got the word of grace. And, and notice what this word will do. First of all, it is able to build you up. We are never supposed to stop growing, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As newborn babes, desire the sincere, sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Your Bible is closed Monday through Saturday, or the only time it's opened is church. You're not gonna have much growth. It's not gonna happen. Um, Monday, I went in to train with Sam, and I've been dealing with a lack of sleep issue uh, and so forth. And so I was kind of dragging just a little bit, and it was deadlift day, and um, I was doing very well, uh, you know, as long as it was only 65 pounds. uh, But after all the warm up stuff, he just decided to do a massive jump. And, and he put uh, the weight on there that I was doing in a competition last March. Uh, I mean, he went real heavy, real fast. And uh, I worked for the rest of the morning trying to get that weight up. I succeeded uh, once or twice, but most of the time I got it halfway up and just kind of ran out of gas and put it down. And one of the things Sam asked me, he said, did you have a good breakfast today? I said, yes, sir. He said, good, because you can't run on empty. One of the reasons we're not strong in the Lord and the power of his might is because we're not built up on the word of his grace. Do you understand the Bible in 1 Peter 2 is called milk? Uh, Do you know that in Psalm uh, 19, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb? Honey is uh, one of nature's most perfect foods. They found a honeycomb in a sealed canopic jar in, in an Egyptian burial site that when they opened it, the honey was still viable 3,500 to 4,000 years later. It is an incredible food. It's called meat. It is called bread. Um, there's a reason God likens the word of God to food so much because he knew His Baptist, that's where we live. But also we could understand the fact you don't eat you, you have no strength. You can't function, uh, and sooner or later you'll die. Folks, if you don't eat this book, I mean on a daily basis. I can tell by looking around, most of us haven't missed too many meals within the last few days. Um, and that's a good thing. Praise God. Um, I wonder if we could see what each other looked like spiritually if we'd know who spent time here and who hasn't. By the way, even though maybe we can't see an x-ray that shows that, all we gotta do is watch the life and we'll see pretty much who's walking with God, who's not. Paul said, I'm commending you to God, to the word of his grace. Number one, it's able to build you up. Number two, to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified, an inheritance. You see, as we read this book, we find out how we please God. Keep your place here. Can I get you to turn to 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy. Chapter number 4. This is believed to be the last book Paul wrote. So these would be some of the last words that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse number 6. For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith henceforth because I've done that there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Paul talked in in, in Acts chapter 20 about an inheritance that, that they would get through the word of God. A crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all them also that love his appearing. This crown of righteousness is one any one of us could have but uh, in order to gain it, we're going to have to finish our course. We're going to have to stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what. Uh, turn a few pages further in your Bible to the book of First Peter. Chapter number 1. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Beloved, we're not believing in pipe dreams. We don't have false hopes. Christ is risen from the dead, amen? And if he lives, we're gonna live with him. Uh, And Paul said, We got a lively hope. We've got so much to look forward to. Uh, We've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We got the Word of God guiding us. Uh, Man, it's a a, a wonderful thing. Blessed be the God who's done that for for us. Look at verse 4 to an inheritance incorruptible. It doesn't get old, doesn't get moldy, doesn't fall apart, doesn't rust, rot decay to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you so in other words God's got some blessings in heaven um, reserved for us but how do we get them well that's through the word of his grace that's the word of his grace the more I apply this book to my life the more I can look forward to what's in heaven waiting for me on the other side. By the way, just going to heaven is a bonus. It's better than the alternative. Um, But God says, yeah, there's heaven and there's streets of gold and there's mansions, but there's crowns. Uh, There's positions of ruling and reigning with me. Uh, There's being seated near me. There's so many blessings God has if we're faithful. Amen? Uh, Look, if you would, please, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, the night before Jesus went to the cross, he's in the upper room. He's talking to the disciples about the betrayal. He's already warned Peter uh, you know, uh, 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 about the, the devil wants to have him and, and, and so forth. And Peter's not taking it well. And the disciples are rightly troubled by what they're hearing. Um, that, that's not what they looked for in him. They saw him as the Messiah who would come and set up his kingdom. They weren't looking for the cross. Notice what he says, verse 1, verse 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Sean Hannity quotes this an awful lot. Unfortunately, it's the only part of this he quotes. Let not your heart be troubled. Uh, Not because Sean's on the air and he's got the answers. You believe in God, believe also in me. My faith is not in Sean. My faith is not in donkeys or elephants. Uh, None of those things. My faith is in the Lamb of God. He said... Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Isn't that a wonderful portion of Scripture? Just jam-packed with promises. Back in Acts chapter uh, 20, verse 32, when he talks about the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among to all them which are sanctified, we're reminded, let's just follow the leadership of the word of God. Let's apply it to our hearts and our lives. How many are reading the Bible through this year with that schedule? Awesome, awesome. Uh, How many enjoyed the fact that on the day of Psalm 119, that was the only chapter we had to read? Uh, I love Psalm 119. It is my favorite chapter of the Bible. Has been for 40 years or so. I've committed a number of the verses there to memory, Uh, 176 verses, all but about six of them uh, speak directly about the word of God and its impact and its influence and its help in our lives. Uh, It strengthens us and it quickens us and it feeds us and it enlightens us Uh, and on and on it goes and, and it's a magnificent psalm to help us understand that this book is like no other book. And only this book has the words of life. And only this book has been, been inspired uh, by the very breath of God. And we've got it, not in part, but in its entirety. If Paul said to the church at Ephesus, I commend you to God, that's an amazing thing. God will take care of you. But he also says to the word of his grace. But listen carefully. This is the word of his grace, correct? Correct okay so i've got the word of his grace i'm protected right i'm carrying it around with me i got the word of his grace satan can't get me satan comes after me i just stick my bible right that's how dumb some people believe this idea as long as i carry my bible i'm fine um you need to read your bible But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I'm convinced that one of the reasons there are so many believers who aren't bearing fruit for Christ is because the reality is they carry a Bible around, but they haven't put it in their heart. They talk, I believe the Bible, and I'm King James only. That's great. Did you read any of it today? When was the last time you memorized a single verse of this book? Think about it. So you trying to make us feel bad? No, I'm trying to make us feel like Christians. Paul said, this is how you're going to be strong. This is how you're going to have that security in heaven, that that inheritance, undefiled, reserved for you. And this is how you're going to be sanctified. This book will change you. This book will change you. It will change you from the inside out. And Paul said, I'm going to commend you to that grace. Let me move on quickly. Verse 33, he switches gears rapidly. I have coveted no man's silver or gold gold. Or apparel, Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. Paul just brings this out there saying, I'm not in it for the money. Not in it for the money. Peter warns pastors not to be in it for filthy lucre. Now that doesn't mean that servants of the Lord shouldn't get paid. In fact, Paul adv- advocated for that. But while he advocated for it, just so that everybody knew he wasn't priming the pump so they could give him stuff, uh, he's the guy that refused the salary from Corinth the entire time he was there. And now we find out the whole time, the three years he was in Ephesus, his own hands. What was his occupation? He was a tent maker. He said, my own hands... um, have ministered unto my necessities, and notice that, not this, and to them that were with me. He had an entourage. Luke was with him, Timothy, Titus, several others with him. Um, and, and, and Paul is working. He's, he's a bivocational pastor. He wouldn't take any money from the church, but he did teach them, you need to take care of your preachers. But he said, just so you know that I'm not in it for me. I said, I've coveted no man's gold or silver. It grieves my heart when I see news reports out in, in the world, an unsaved world is following some of these so-called preachers around and they've got their, you know, uh, $12 million mansions and they've got their private jets and all this kind of, you know, stuff like that. And the world just sees it, see they're in it for the money. And I don't mean to be unkind or judgmental, but sadly, it appears that that's what they are, they're in it for. Um, Paul said you don't have anything I want. I've coveted nothing that anybody has. Um, I've worked for everything we had, and he leads into verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that's so laboring. Following that example, I said, you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Oddly enough, that little phrase, it's in red in my Bible. I have the, you know, the, the red letter edition. Um, that verse is not found in any of the Gospels. But you understand this, the Gospels don't contain everything that Jesus said and did. Paul had encounters with the Lord Jesus Christ on a personal level. The first one was on the road to Damascus. Uh, there are going to be at least three other times the Lord is going to appear to him and converse with him. So Paul is laying it out there, the Christian life is not about what can I get, it's about what can I give. It's not about what can everybody do for me, it's what can I do? How can I be a blessing? Um, And if we've got that mindset, we're gonna be safe from a lot of the pitfalls that come along. Verse 36, when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. We're guessing possibly it was on the sand of the seashore. A lot of times in those days, the ships would be anchored a little out from land and they would, they would take smaller boats back and forth. We're not sure there may have been a dock involved. And you just see Paul in this group of people. It just says the elders. We don't know how many people are in that group. They kneeled down, they prayed and prayed with them all and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Paul's ministry in Ephesus, that physical ministry while he was there, has come to a close. And they know it. It is a hard time for them. Now, Paul will write them a letter about four years later. Um, The events of Acts chapter 20 happened somewhere around 59 AD, the year 59. Somewhere around the year 63 or 64 is believed when Paul penned the book of Ephesians and sent it to them, which is one of the most sublime books of our New Testament. That's where we read about the whole armor of God that we studied for a number of weeks. Um, So Paul's going to write to them. Now remember, he warned them about false teachers. He told them to watch and so forth. The last time the church at Ephesus is mentioned in the Bible, does anybody know where that is? The last time it's mentioned. We know Paul talked about it in Corinthians. He he obviously talked about it in the book of Ephesians. When was the last time the church at Ephesus is mentioned in the Bible? Revelation chapter 2. Can I get you to turn there? Revelation chapter 2, and we'll finish here. If the events of Acts 20 took place, let's just say A.D. 60 to make it a round number. A.D. 60. The book of Revelation is believed to have been written by the Apostle John in A.D. 96, 36 years later, almost four decades later. Here's a sad statistic. Did you know that the average Bible-believing church does not stay doctrinally sound for more than two decades? Things start changing. That's a sad thing. Almost four decades have gone by, and look what the Savior has to say. Verse 2, I know thy works, and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. Isn't that what he told the elders at Ephesus to do? To take heed about the, the grievous wolves coming in to devour the flock and the people rising from the within. You realize the Savior's commending them 40 years later. They are still abiding by that. Kudos to them, and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Paul encouraged them to follow his example, what manner of person he was at all seasons, how he ceased not to warn people night and day with tears. Do you understand the Savior is commending them? Um, They are doctrinally sound, they're biblically separated, and they're busy in the service of the Lord. So kudos to them, They four decades later. Of course, we know something did change with them. Verse 4, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Their reason for doing it all was no longer love for the Lord. The Bible doesn't say what it was. It just wasn't love for God anymore. It might have been they just did it because that's what they always did. It might have been that it was just uh you know, a matter of duty to them and a relationship with with God was something that they didn't seem to grab a hold of anymore. By the way, that was a big problem. The Savior said, either you get your first love right or I get rid of you. I'll have no church rather than a dead church. Your love affair with Jesus Christ is all important in his eyes. He's not as impressed with our attendance records as we are. He's not as impressed with our resumes as we are. He's not impressed with us telling everybody, why well, do this and I do that and I do this. He just wants to know, do you love me? Oh, yeah, sure, I love you. But he knows better. The church at Ephesus lost that, but they did remember the final teaching and the Savior commended them for that. The Savior commended. That's a long time to stay right doctrinally. Beloved, let us stay right with God till Jesus comes. Amen. Let, it, let us stay the right kind of church, doctrinally sound, biblically separated, busy in our service for Christ, but full of love and passion for our wonderful Savior. Right after Paul got on the ship, they decided to have a business meeting, so we're going to follow their example, and we're going to do that.